This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Good evening. How the devil are you? Can you believe it's September already? What's going on? Uh, Good evening. Thanks so much for joining me. And if you did go to Manchester Pride last weekend, I do hope you've recovered. I'm not exaggerating. It takes some people that long. It's been a long time since we've been to Pride, hasn't it? Anyway, this evening we will be finding out all about the LGBTQ Out and Wild Festival. Yep. Uh, We'll also be meeting another inspirational LGBT campaigner, Tim Sixworth, who runs AKT. That's the charity who support homeless LGBT youth. But up next, oh my God, I have got such a treat for you. It's a coming out story, uh, but it really is a coming out story with a twist. So can you imagine what it's like coming out as gay? And then a few years later, your dad comes out as gay. Well, that's exactly what happened to Phil. Now, a little bit of intel behind the scenes. I don't really have a producer that goes out and finds me guests, so I tend to sort of rely on my contacts book or I find things that's going on in the news and I tweet people that are well-known or LGBT campaigners and say, please come on my show. Um, But I've never, (laughs) ever approached strangers in a park and said, please come on my radio show until this last weekend because I was stood in Sackville Gardens at Manchester Pride And uh, a group of people, I think they ended up being friends of friends. And I heard on the grapevine that this guy called Phil stood in front of me, was at Pride with his dad, who is also gay. So welcome, Phil and Gary. Hello. (laughs) How fortuitous that you were stood right in front of me. I think, are we connected through some friends, do we think? I think so, yeah. I mean, we were all kind of together and, and all of a sudden we were all amalgamated into one group, really, didn't we? And then yeah. the rest is history. But that's what happens at Prides, isn't it? You meet new people. And uh, what, how did you enjoy Manchester Pride then? I mean, it was just bonkers that we actually had a Pride, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? I thought it was amazing. You know, it was really, really good. We we all had fun. And we were concerned because we didn't think that with not having the parade... Yep. We thought it was going to be a bit, bit of a damp squid, but it wasn't, was it? It was excellent. It was, and there was a bit, a bit of media about it. Um, you know, there, there was a bit of an under underlined, it, oh, is it, what's it going to be like, you know, and, and, and without going into the politics of it, it was a, it, it was a lot, lot better than yeah. what I imagined. It, it, I it was great. So. It was well, it was well put together. Everyone had a great time. We, we were in the Sackville Gardens, which is the true community bit. We avoided, well, I don't know if you did, but I avoided the festival bit where it's all the big names and the big acts. Yeah, we, absolutely. We were watching the drag stage, weren't we, on Saturday? That was a lot of fun. Yes, <laughs> that was fun. Who was your favourite? Oh, I love them all. I mean, we're real big RuPaul's Drag Race fans, so yeah. we've met quite a few of them over the years. It all started because uh, I'd watched it a little bit, dipped in and out of it, because it's just easy watching, but my boyfriend is an absolute avid fan, so uh, he watches them on repeat. So now I think I know them word for word, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. the same. Well, yeah. I, was, I really enjoyed watching Victoria Scone, actually. I thought she was brilliant. Yes. And just what, yeah. a, what a milestone to have a cisgendered woman on the show. Absolutely. I yeah. think it's fantastic. Yeah, we have friends that were with us that day that was not sure about it. And what one in particular was really very anti a woman being a, a, a drag artist. However, we did try to point out, didn't we, that, you know, drag is an art form. And why should it only be for men? It, it can be for anybody. Drag should be universal. So we're all we're, we're, we're all right with everything, aren't we? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you shouted them down, Gary. Quite right. Yeah. yeah. None, of that yeah. Mis- none of that misogyny, please. Thank you very much. No, no, thank you. No, no, so no. 
I have never met anyone at Pride with their parent who is also gay. So do you get a lot of um, sort of funny comments going, oh my God, you're here with your dad and you're here with his, your dad's boyfriend. I mean... Yeah. I was, I, was there with, I was there with my own boyfriend, with my yeah. dad and his boyfriend. And no, he's not my boyfriend, he's no, my husband. husband. Yeah, my dad's Sorry. husband. We've been, <laughs> we've been married since uh, 2000 and we've been married 12 years anyway. Oh my goodness me. Well, I want to hear both of your coming out stories and I don't know much about you because we literally just met in the park last weekend. Um, I'm going to guess maybe did you come out first as gay, Phil? I did, yeah. Let's, uh, about... let's do your story first then, and then we'll come back and hear Gary's. Go on, Phil. Yeah, so I came out in when I was still at school. I was in my final year of school. Had a great school experience, really, up until the last year. In the last year, about four months before I left, I kind of got caught out as gay, so I had to kind of just go with it. And I thought at that point I could have lied and you know gone into Michelle and that, but I didn't. I thought, well, I'm here now. I may as well carry on. I felt that I was gay well I've always known I was gay so I just thought at that point there's no really going back so I decided to to go with it came out so when you say I, hang on a minute when you say caught out with it you were caught kissing a boy or doing more with I a boy was, or, yeah or, were you oh god I was doing it Who I was fumbling with a boy at a school it was at a school one of the one of the girls disco. from school it was like a disco and yeah I think I think Someone saw something and the next thing you know, it all came out. The whole school was there. I got, mm. I didn't have a nice time. I did get hit and spat at and had a real awful time. Lost lots of friends through it. Um, so really bullied then by the sounds of it, yeah. Yeah, I had to do my GCSEs at a different time than everybody else. They let me do them 10 minutes before everybody else so I could leave school and be gone before everybody else did because it was that awful. And I know sometimes you'd have to go to school half an hour early or half an hour late and the teacher sometimes would bring him back home or come and pick him up in the morning, depending on who was around. And that was really quite difficult as a parent to go through. It was horrible. I bet. Yeah. And did you know what was going on exactly, Gary? I had an idea, although Philip was... Uh, you were quite quiet about that side of things, weren't you? At the time I was, yeah. I, I, I mean, it was a real struggle. It, I mean, it wasn't an easy an easy thing for me to go through. I, the only the only saving grace I did have was I had a best friend from the age of 11 from high school. Uh, I was out with him last week and his missus, he's got two oh. kids, uh, my friend David, and, and he had he had a bit of stigma that he was my friend. And, and he said, you know, mm. I'm not going to change. We, we, we've not, we're not going to lose our friendship over this. He stuck by me, he got called gay himself. He, he didn't care. He, he just stuck, stuck up to the mark with me and, and we're still friends now, 26 years later. And I, I feel really lucky that I had that experience with him. That's brilliant to hear. And what about the guy you were fumbling with then? Did he get the same, same abuse? Yeah, he did, to be fair. But to be in all honesty, I can't really remember a lot about him now. I think I can't kind of try to block <laughs> it out. Um, not in a horrible way. I think it was yeah. just, I think it was just such a raw experience for me that I didn't feel that, that, you know, it was something I wanted to keep thinking about and going with. So so let's just put this in context, because you don't seem very old. So what year was this and what part of the country are we talking? So in Cheshire, in Runcorn in Cheshire is, is right. the school. I left school in the year 2000, so it was, it was like 99, 2000-ish era. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would have thought it would be more tolerant than that, but it sounds like your, your schoolmates were pretty intolerant, really. The town of Runcorn. It's in between Manchester and Liverpool. 
And although you would think being between two major cities in the northwest that things would be fine, but no, there's there's no gay community in Runcorn or Widnes. There's there's no meeting place. No, there's nothing. nothing. Hence, you have to come to Manchester Pride. I'm guessing there's not a Runcorn Pride, is there? <laughs> no, no. Hell would freeze over before they would be, I'm sure. <laughs> Oh. oh god so phil it sounds like you went through a terrible time at school what was the point at which you thought i need to get some help and maybe talk to teachers about it or talk to your parents about it well i think what happened was i had a french exam and it was like a, a one where you had to do like a speaking test and, and i was in the hallway full of in like the in the big hall full of people and um i could hear people muttering and sniggering and stuff and i thought I just can't do this anymore. So I just got my stuff and I left. And obviously I failed that exam, but um, it's not clouded my, my career at all. But at the time, it's, you think, you, you know, you know, wow, this is going to be it for me. I, I'm failing here and failing there. But actually, I didn't do too bad considering the, the pressure and the circumstances that I was under. Uh, luckily, I, I have to say I've had a really good family. Like my nan and granddad were extremely um, accepting. They, they came to my wedding I was married before. I've been with my guy now for four years. But previous to that, I was married. Uh, still am, actually. I'm just going through my divorce at the moment. Oh, but my nan came to my wedding. They were, you know, they were super accepting of everything. So did you sit the grandparents down then and tell them? Was there a moment? I think they kind of already knew because, I mean, I used to stay with my nan and granddad all the time. I was there to sleep over all the time. We had a real great bond. It just got to a point where I didn't actually have to come out to them, I don't think. I think it just gradually, they never asked me. They knew, like, my best friend was a girl and they knew that she was a lesbian. And they've just just always been so super accepting. And like I was just going to say then, although from outside of my family bubble was absolutely horrendous, my inside bubble with my family and my close friends was, I just couldn't um, ask for more. I was really, really lucky. Thank God, because it sounds like you went through a tough time at school, so it could really, yeah. really damage your mental health, couldn't it, if you didn't have your family supporting you as well? Yeah, well, I did really suffer with mental health growing up from that point. I, I, I did get put on medication to help me through through that period, and I, and I have had periods of, a, of, um, of downtime in my early 30s, so to speak. And, yeah. and I don't know if that's all stemmed from, from that point of, of, of that growing up and that transition. I mean... I think the LGBT plus community, we, we, we all suffer at some point with some sort of um, mental health issue because of, you know, society and the way that we're looked upon and stuff. So well, Yeah, and also you've been through a trauma to get beaten at school and called names and have to go to school at a different time to everyone else because you're gay. That's a trauma to go through, right? Yeah, it is, but... Oh, your dad's just giving you a kiss (laughs) on the neck and it's just made me... Oh, God. Stop it. It just makes you stronger, I I say. So tell us the moment then when you told this uh, wonderful man next to you and uh, and your mum, presumably. Well, my dad was actually still married to his wife at the time when I told him that I I was gay. wasn't wasn't You didn't exactly tell me, Phil. It was just... I think you said, I'm bringing my boyfriend home. Oh, we were having a family gathering, and he said, I'm bringing my boyfriend. We just didn't discuss that sort of no. thing, did we? It was really quite strange. There was no big coming out. I did with my mum. I think you did with your mum. My mum was watching the TV, and I went in the living room, and I said, Mum, I'm bisexual, and I shut the door really quickly and ran out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we always do that, don't we? And I thought, oh, yeah, I'm bisexual. <laughs> and I thought, oh, should, that'll, that'll just soften the blow somewhat. But I was 15 at the time. You know. What did she say? She came to me, and she was like, 
are you sure? You know, you're not you're sure you're not one thing or the other, you know, with the usual paraphilia yeah. that they that people say. And then a week later, I think she was in the living room again. And I went, one and game, shut the door again and ran up again for a second time. So <laughs> it's an interesting technique, Phil, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> say it and run. It's like a one-sided <laughs> conversation, really. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she was supportive after that, yeah. She was. She used to come out with me on nights out and stuff, and she'd come to the gay bars and stuff. And actually, my mum and my stepdad took me to Blackpool. I was on for my sixteenth birthday. I think I'd been out only a few months at this point, and she took me to this place called Basil's, and it used to be upstairs. And there was an old funny girls, and yes. she took me through all that, which was probably wrong—not wrong, but I was only sixteen. But I had a great time, so <laughs> I was fortunate. So really supportive parents then, and I guess yeah. when you were going through all of this and really struggling and telling your mum sort of and not telling your dad, did you have any inkling that your dad might be gay as well? Well, I've always thought he was a bit feminine and right. he, he, he likes opera and he likes musical theatre and he, and he, he, he likes all, okay. all the, all the uh, stereotypical things. Worked in fashion. Worked in, he teaches fashion at school. Yeah. And he, Do you like Carly Minogue, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, no, thank no, you. No, no. Abba? No. Oh, Abba's all right. Yeah. Three o'clock in the morning when you've had a few. <laughs> You're right, party goers, you two, aren't you? Oh, oh yeah. So you didn't really suspect then, Phil? No, not at all. It was only up until the age of about 20, 21 that I started thinking, hmm, is there something here? And, and, and Dad took me for a, for a drink once and he said, I've got something to tell you. And he, and he was looking at the floor and I said, you're gay, aren't you? And he said, yeah. And I thought... I can't believe I've just said that to me dad and I can't believe my dad's just answered with that, you know. It was, well, it was a moment. It really is a moment, isn't it? It sounds like something from a movie, doesn't it? Let's Up until it. then, I was very guarded. I think I, I was very, very guarded. I'm not like I am now at all. Well, no, you, you were very out and proud when I met you at the weekend because <coughs> it was Manchester Pride. Phil was there with his boyfriend and his dad, Gary, and his husband. So, yes a very modern gay family. Um, we've just heard your coming out story, Phil, haven't we? And you just sort of yeah. dro dropped it at the end there that your dad did actually come out to you years later after you came out. Gary, tell us the story, because you knew that you had a son that was growing up and struggling at school and being bullied mm. by gay. But for you, what was, what was the process? When did you realise you might not be straight? Oh, I've always known since I was probably five, six. Oh, right. Uh, I'm fortunate enough that in a time in the 1970s when you were expected to get married and have children, that I quite like women as well. In fact, I've had three wives uh, before I met James. You've had three quite more than me. You do like women, yeah. <laughs> I found it sometimes difficult, especially when I first met my husband, James, in as much as Phil, I resented a little bit. I mean, over maybe two, three years... Once he'd left and was having this most amazing time in his early 20s, um, going out clubbing, meeting new friends, doing everything he wanted, which was exactly what I wanted, and I couldn't. And sometimes I'd go to bed and think, please, God, let me know what it's like just to have one, just a man for a couple of hours. That's all I want before I die. That's all I want. And it was really quite strange seeing your son living the life that I wanted. However, 
things took a really strange turn. At work, I used to take my staff out on a Friday for a drink, and so did James, who was my husband. And one by one on a Friday afternoon, they stopped going until it was just James and I. Every Friday, we'd go and have a drink after work. And one day, he said something to me. and I'd always been very guarded. It was quite romantic, really, because we were a little bit of flirtiness and, yeah. oh, yes, and little double entendres and, and that and sort at, of thing. And at this stage, Gary, you'd never kissed a boy or done anything no, about it? You'd never kissed, kissed, never kissed a man. Right, wow. No, okay. not at all. I was 40. And he sent me a card uh, for my birthday and he said, life begins at 40, it certainly did for me, I hope it does for you. And he opened a whole world for me that I didn't know existed. What happened was I said to him, do you think me and you might ever dabble or do? Because we were being quite forward about things. Yeah. And he said, hell yeah, of course. And I said, never. I said, before Christmas. And this was like <laughs> summer. And he went, hell, Gary. He said, wake up. He said, within the next few weeks. And he was right. And I was kissed for the first time when I was 40. It was really weird, wow. but very romantic. So he kissed you then, did he? He had to look yeah. at you in and the I right direction. Amazed. I don't know what he expected, but his lips were soft and he was very, very sensitive to how I was feeling. My heart was going like the clappers. I, I leant back on the wall and I used to have a Titanic on the wall and I knocked it and the whole thing smashed to the floor. <laughs> It was very memorable. It's like a Mills and Boone novel, isn't it? It was. It was. <laughs> Phil, what, then, Phil, what's it like listening to this story about the romantic first kiss? Well, it was romantic. I heard far more, so I'm more, I'm more than used to it. Oh, well, okay. so then, but we had a problem because we both worked together. We both had wives. We both had children and mortgages and everything, but we wanted to be together. Uh, we went away on holiday. He went with his wife and children. I went with mine. And we both decided we were going to try and work something out. And then I just got a message on the beach, a text then, and it just said, left the wife, bought us a house, bought a new car, you better tell your wife now because when you get home, we're together, we're an item. So I came home. Wow. Everybody at work knew. We had some problems at work because we got a new principal and he was quite anti-gay. We all had to apply for our jobs as managers and everybody got their job apart from James and I. Uh, he was taken and put into another campus. I was demoted. Everybody knew what was going on, but nobody could say anything because people were frightened of their own jobs. Anyway, uh, all that happened. And then I was outed to, to my parents. I had to go up and see mum and dad. Um, Who outed you? What I was happened? just going to add, it wasn't me. But it no, wasn't I didn't think it would be you, Phil. Was it Phil? No, no it, was, um, it was a cousin, hmm. but... It was very complicated the situation. Quickly, my my sister killed herself very young, and I went and found the body. And from that point, it kind of was a catalyst to other things happening. So, I was outed it, with my mum and dad, and then things at work weren't going very well. And mentally, I just it was horrible. I had a bit of a breakdown. I'm surprised um, with all that going on, that sounds tough, Gary. Yeah. It was. It was horrible at the time. However, very lucky because. The man that I chose and who chose me is a near perfect man. I mean, he, he is the most beautiful, kindest person I could have ever wanted to have fell in love with. And we've been together 20 years now, nearly, no, coming yeah, up to 20 years. 
Yeah, so you're about to turn sixty uh, then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 60. Sorry for reminding you. No, it's um, all right. Can, can we just go back to the moment though, where um, your husband's on holiday with his ex-wife and children, and he finishes with his wife and buys you a house? I mean, that's quite a lot of commitment to do. It was a hell of a lot of commitment because I think he knew he had to leave the marital home anyway. Hmm. Uh, his wife wanted to, as usually in these cases, I'm keeping the children. You're disgusting you turn my stomach I mean really got, yeah another family member said the same thing to me you know you turn my stomach never want to speak to you again and that was it and, and he ne never did um even now 20 years later uh, there's still nothing between nothing at all so uh, oh, well that's sad I mean it's sad and it happens everybody's entitled to the way they feel they can't help that but I always say any sort of prejudice any sort of homophobia, racism, it, it's all learned behaviour. You know, nobody is born that way. And so I think it's important to break the chain, break that cycle. It's a cliche, isn't it? Everybody says that. We've got to break the chain. But it's true. But And sometimes it's up to us as LGBT people to educate the rest of the world, to educate. Oh, I think so. I was, I was very, very fortunate that I was a college lecturer uh, all my life. I became head of school for creative and performing arts, but I still was in the teaching. Then when I had me, me a little bit of a breakdown, I went just back into teaching and I had many different types of students. It was great. And my part was to be able to show people that being a man married to another man with children and a house and exactly the same as straight people, that it's no different than a straight person you know we, exactly. and it, you know I'm a professional person I went and did all my degree I did everything exactly the same as everybody else so it was important and then of course I'd have students for two years and one may come in as a boy and leave as a girl after two years and it's nice to be able to be a guiding influence for those sort of students because let's face it it can be very difficult at times very lucky that the place I worked at, uh, which was Crompton College in Witness, there was never any problems there with anybody that was, no matter what, we were all a big melting pot. Well, that's good to know. And like you said, you are just a normal person, but you're a normal person that's lived several lives by the sound of it. So I've had a few lives. I really you have, have, haven't you? You have. So what uh, was it like having to tell your, your wife at the time then? Was that a my wife at the process? time took very, very badly. Mm. very very badly and uh, that was that was really really sad uh, and looking back I would have liked to have tried to have done things in a different way but there was m much more involved in us which is a private thing that I won't go into now no, don't worry. but the other side of the coin is that my second wife my children's because Philip is has got a sister uh she came to my wedding. So my ex-wife came to my wedding. I've got pictures of her and my husband all happy, smiling with drinks and things. I mean, that was really nice. And she brought her new husband with her as well. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's, it's a, it's a it's proper, it. proper modern family, isn't it? I we are. Love we it. are. We're not perfect at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sometimes we do have disagreements in that, but I think family is really important, yeah. really, really important. And as a gay man, I think it's, it's my duty to make sure that all my friends that still have neither not got a boyfriend or the families don't want them or whatever to say, you know, this can be 
right it is perfect because it is perfect for us in in as much as how we act as a family it's good i love it phil you must be very proud of your dad i am super proud of him i'm lucky like yeah. we go we go on holiday together and we we just have yeah. a great time we go out drinking together normally they stay up later than i do they tolerate it a bit more i could tell they were party animals yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no i, I Honestly, I, can't, I do count my blessings every day. I feel very fortunate. I mean, me and Dad have always had a lovely relationship, but in the last couple of years since we lost Nana, Nana was like a real good, solid female figure in mine and Dad's life. I used to take her shopping, even though I'm, I'm, I've been with Dale for four years, I'd still go and stay at my Nan's house once a week and she'd make me chips and egg or whatever. Chips and egg, yeah. And, 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 but me and Dad were super close with Nana. So last year, Nana passed away and... I mean, we've always been very close, but I think this past, say, 18 months, we've literally been inseparable. I'm I like, think we've helped each other. Yeah, like, Dad will message me in the week now, just say, I'm just thinking of you, I love you, and, you know, just little things like that, and it, and it makes me, it just makes me feel, so mm. not wanted, because I've always felt wanted, but it just makes, it just it's just such a special thing to have from your parents, you know. And so was she accepting of her, of her gay son and grandson then, yeah? Absolutely. She, Perfect. She, she, she said to me once... I would have loved to have had a girl. And she said, well, I didn't really need one because I think she thought that... <laughs> Cheeky thing. She was very, very old-fashioned. She was in her 80s. She'd say things like, oh, pink, you like pink because you're a gay. Yeah. Or she'd say things feathers. like feathers. Feathers, gays like oh, feathers. Oh, gays like feathers, don't they? <laughs> she, she was a lovely person. She tried very hard to, to do the the right thing even though sometimes she would get it totally wrong because she'd say oh i know that name they're a trazzy aren't they they are and i'll say why mother because they wear ladies clothes they are a trazzy i said no mum, you're getting it all wrong again she didn't have a bad bone in her body she accepted everybody for who they were i just wanted to sorry to put in there i just wanted to say with nana she was so accepting and like you saying she, about her saying things like that she if you told her it was wrong and not to do it and and explained it to her she, she would never it, do it again she took it all in she was a real like absorber of information and she was and i and i actually had so much respect for her you know to just to educate her and she she literally took everything you said on board and, and apart from the feathers apart from the feathers <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like a legend, yeah. Just a oh, shame. She was. Well, shame not everyone in your family's been as understanding, but uh, it sounds like no. you've had it. You've had it pretty good, really. <coughs> the sounds of it. Yeah. We're very, very, very fortunate. We have great parties at Christmas. Everybody gets together. We have parties through the year, and Phil brings all his mates from Manchester over, and we'll have a great big weekend here. We have a lovely time, don't we? You, do. could, have, you could start your own Runcorn Pride. You don't need anyone else to set it up. <laughs> we, we did have one. We did have one. We had one yeah. last year in the here. Because there wasn't a real Pride, we decided to have a Pride here. And we had games in the garden, so you had to run down the garden, put a wig on, have a shot, run back, put your heels on, run back. We had all these silly games. <laughs> Proper drag race, yeah. Oh, pin, yeah. pin the willy on the man. Yeah. <laughs> With a blindfold, everything. We had a good laugh, didn't we? we oh, did. my God. Well, you got there in the end, Gary, didn't you? But any regrets, yeah. of, not doing, not, any regrets of not doing it earlier at all? Uh, I think society was very different then. Mm. And I don't think I would have been the same person that I am today if I had come out then. Because I can be quite wild, and I know that if I was out, I would have been down to London, 
I would have been up to all sorts and I may not even be here now and I wouldn't have had the children. Well, I was going to say, and you wouldn't have created the beautiful child that is Phil, would you, oh, necessarily? It's me. It's me. <laughs> so I, um, I, I don't have any regrets. I think my life, I always yeah. say, if I die tomorrow, which I don't want to, I have some like, partying to do, but if I did die tomorrow, I can look back and say, well, I've had an amazing life. been to so many places and I've been loved and I know what it's like to love others. So, you know, what else could I, could I want? I've had amazing kids that just, and grandchildren, up to grandchildren, I'm a grandfather. Wow. Hard to believe, I know, but, oh. but yeah, <laughs> grandfather were at G-A-Y the other night until like three in the morning. <laughs> You're not a typical granddad, really, are you, Gary? No, not really, no, no. Uh, well, I always like to end with, um, if you have any advice to other people, do you want to go first, Phil, if you had any advice to other people who like maybe struggled to come out because they were bullied at school like you were? It's a really difficult thing to answer because I wouldn't want to give the wrong advice and say, oh, just come out and just do what you want no. to do and be brave. <laughs> Ideally, that's what we want for everybody, isn't it? And I'd, I'd always say be true to yourself, but just make sure that you're safe in, when you're doing it and, and don't put yourself in danger, you know, Sometimes it's best to wait for the right time to do it. I'm not saying wait forever, very, but very but some people are put into bad situations, aren't they, when, when they do come out. And you were outed and it was, you know, it was the worst thing that could have happened because it wasn't particularly safe for you at that school by the sounds no. of it. So you know what it's like to be outed and not to be great. Yeah, but in the same breath, it was probably the best thing that ever happened because it gave me that kick to 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 be myself and live my best life and... And I actually had a very different life experience from that moment onwards when I moved to Chester when I was 17 and met a great uh, network of friends and built a new life for myself. So in all in all, it did do me a favour. So just be true to yourself, however you are, whoever you are and however you feel, you've, you've just got to be truthful and honest with yourself. You have. And what about you, Gary? Would you have any advice to anyone who has struggled to come out to later in life? I think people need to realise that they are who they are meant to be. They're not wrong. They're not different. They're not anything special. They are who they're supposed to be. And I think if you if you realise that no matter what people around you say, whether it be a religious reason or whatever, if you do believe in God, God made you that way. He loves you and he made you that way. That's who you're supposed to be. So uh, love yourself. Sound like RuPaul, this isn't yeah. it? It's just <laughs> like if you had a RuPaul. <laughs> Do you want us to get pictures of when we were kids? <laughs> you cross between RuPaul and Lady Gaga with those quotes. Born <laughs> yeah. 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 this way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, oh. that's good. And I think life's great. Live life, enjoy life, because you've only got one wise words do you know what i really want you two to write a parenting book because i think you just make the best parents and grandparents ever <laughs> yeah thank you very much you ready the weekend outing with emma goswell virgin radio pride thanks for tuning in to my weekend outing and an even bigger thank you to phil and gary if you've just tuned in you've missed possibly one of my favorite interviews that i've ever done yes phil 
and his gay dad, Gary, who I met at Manchester Pride. I honestly think Gary's life needs to be made in some sort of film. No, probably musical, actually. They're massive musical fans, aren't they? I just love him and I love Phil. What a genuinely lovely pair. And it's so nice and so rare, sadly, to see that love between a father and son. It's just so beautiful. Um, Also, I really want to go to one of their drag race parties. So if you're listening, boys, I'm up for an invite. Anyway, coming up next, I'll be meeting a man who really struggled to come out. But when he did, he seized activism and protest with both hands. He's now been campaigning for LGBT rights for over 30 years and he runs the AKT, the UK's biggest charity supporting homeless and vulnerable LGBT youth. Tim Sixworth is next. You're listening to the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Righty, thanks for joining me on my weekend outing. I'm Emma Goswell. And it's time to meet another LGBT legend, someone that's been campaigning for our rights for many, many decades. He wrote the foreword to my book, Coming Out Stories, and I chose him because he is such a stalwart of the community. He is currently, and has been for a while, CEO of the AKT, a brilliant charity helping LGBT homeless youth. Welcome to Tim Sixworth. Hi, Tim. Hi, Emma. It's great to be with you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I know you're a busy, busy, busy boy. Um, and you said, uh, despite the fact that it's now the end of this week, you are still recovering from Manchester Pride. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I just haven't got the stamina I had 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't catch up with you over Pride, actually, um, because it was the first Pride that a lot of us have been to for a while, I guess, wasn't it? How was it for you? Oh, do you know what? As usual, I went. I was a blubbering mess because we were marching with um, some of our young people and it was the first Pride. And it just took me back to my own first Pride. But it was just wonderful being with them. For, for me, Pride is all about bringing the next generation forward and reminding them of, of the past as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because Manchester Pride didn't have the big parade and the big um, march this year, which I was gutted about. But they did have some mm. of these smaller equality marches. Is that was that what you were on then? Yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was nice. I think for somebody of my age, that was far enough to go. I have to yeah. say, it was. It's such a shame. But I'm really proud of Manchester. The first proper pride in 18 months across the, the country. You know, it's great that we had it. It's so important. And it, for AKT, it's where we reach out to our young people. It's it's the biggest opportunity to reach new young people who need us. Of course. And you said for a lot of them, it was the first time they'd been to a Pride or marched in a Pride. What was it? What did it mean to them? Because this, I think, is the point of Pride. People always ask me this question, but I think it is for young people and people that have never been before to feel included and to feel worthy, right? Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting because... Obviously, some of them were incredibly nervous because you're putting yourself out there, you're publicly, you know, I remember my first Pride, I had a pair of sunglasses on in case my mum spotted me. But, you know, they, um, for them, it was about feeling connected with their community. It was about showing that they were proud of who they were. You know, for some of them, it was actually an act of defiance. It was saying stuff you those people who don't support me those people who don't believe in me I'm here and I'm with I'm with a group of people who really care about me and want me to be myself so it was those sorts of things and it was it was really interesting because when we're with young people some of them obviously are very nervous about who might spot them who might see them Mm. because we're working with such vulnerable young people and 
that's the thing. It was a mixture of elation from the young people at being here and being part of their community and being proud of who they are and also fear. You know, just being out there and the dangers they might face. Yeah, because, of course, you're working with young people who pretty much have been abandoned by their family and, and don't have the support networks that a lot of us have been lucky enough to have, right? This is it. And that some of them are in very, in very vulnerable places at the moment. And we've, we've got to respect that. The sadness for me is I just look back to where I was, where I was petrified mm. being on my first march. And still today what, 25 years on from my first march, whenever it was, and they're still the same for those young people. Really sad. But I think it's fair to say that a lot has changed since then. And But let's go back to your youth show and just I want to find out a bit more about you and how you got to be a campaigner and how you got to be head of this um, big LGBT charity. When did it start for you then? When did you go, you know, because obviously you had a, a, a difficult coming out story, I think, and it wasn't easy for you growing up in the north of England. But you must have gone through some sort of transition to go through that difficult coming out to going, do you know what, I'm going to get on those streets, I'm going to march, I'm going to fight for people's rights. It's really interesting. It's about three years to go from being true to myself to actually getting out there and doing something. And it was just, it was all all connected with my last and only girlfriend, Erica, who, mm. you know, made me realise who I was at 15. And I went from the to three years where I kind of isolated myself away from just connecting with the community. But what, what triggered me was I, I started going to uh, Manchester LGBT youth group. And every week I met these people who weren't just being themselves. They were actually making a difference, whether it was people like Kath Johnson, who found AKT, who was talking about what the, what she was doing with parents of LGBT people or HIV and AIDS activists who were down there, you know, talking about what they were doing. It was I was just surrounded by people who weren't just living their identities. They had to be political mm. in order to, you know, just be themselves. And I, I just was fascinated by this and it was it was just incredible. And um and then suddenly I'm down in a bookshop in Manchester. It's 1988, and there's an opportunity to take part in Section 28 rally. Mm. And that was the trigger for me where I switched from living my life to actually politicising who I was in order to help others and help myself. So that was it. And honestly, every time I walk past Manchester City Council today, I still feel a little bit of a quiver and, a, you know, an excitement about just being, you know, being actually contributing to the community for the well, first that time. march in 1988 was the biggest section 28 march in the country it was one of the biggest political marches that has ever happened in the uk it was vast wasn't it it must have been incredible to be part of oh it was just amazing and i felt i felt completely humbled by all these people you know you just think i come from a little town called bury which I like to call the Monte Carlo of the North, but it really isn't. And <laughs> Good black pudding, could... though, um, Tim. Good black pudding. <laughs> Absolutely. But I come from Bury, and it was it was like, you know, I, I knew one person who was gay in Bury, and I felt completely isolated and alone. And suddenly I am absolutely suffocating on homosexuals, trans people everywhere. They were, you know, I'd never, I could never believe there were this many people in the world who were like me. And it was just, it was just overwhelming. And I, I have to say, me and my friends were very naughty 
we were doing all sorts of silly stuff but then it just suddenly hit us just the enormity of this and it didn't surprise me because manchester is obviously a really politically aware city mm. and it doesn't surprise me that people came there to make a stand yeah well I, i've spoken to louise walween in the past who was one of the organizers of that big rally and she said you know she was part of the I've forgotten what they were called in those days because it wasn't the B and the T were sort of forgotten in those days, weren't they? It was like sort of lesbian, yeah. and, gay, lesbian and gay equality, wasn't it? Yeah. So anyway, but they were given uh, an office in Manchester City Council in that beautiful town hall to launch this campaign, and they were really supported by the city council to do this big protest against the government, essentially for for banning the so-called promotion of homosexuality. It was incredible. I mean, Manchester City Council is is super special because when they opened the new LGBT centre on Sydney Street, they did that against such backlash. There was so much controversy in that, but they stood by us. When AKT launched in 1989, the year after the uh, rally, they were our first funders and they are still funding us today. It's like Manchester City Council is incredibly supportive and, and really bold. And I think that's why people came to Manchester to, to march on that day, to be mm. part of that rally. So that was a big turning point for you then. So you saw the power of the people and you thought, this is what I want to dedicate my life to. Was it a bit like that or was it a bit of a slower process? I just, I got the bug, you know, you would like, and I, I was just like, what do I do next? What do I do next? And then you've got the rally come down where you think, well, what, what's next? What can I do next? How can I get involved? Uh, you know, I started to volunteer wherever I could and I'd get involved in all sorts of stuff just to be part of it. The one thing I refused to do was start to glue locks on buildings. So I wasn't a naughty activist right. in those days, but I did. You know, if anything was going on, whatever anybody said, there was going to be some action and an and opportunity, I got involved. And I suppose my first real movement from there into activism was volunteering for organisations like George House Trust, Healthy Gay Manchester, as it was back then, mm. and just engaging through that, that means, really, starting through the volunteer route, really. And then, of course, you ended up working at the, um, as it was called originally, the Lesbian and Gay uh, Foundation. It eventually went on to become the LGBT Foundation, obviously. But you spent many years there, didn't you, working? Yeah, because what happened to me is I, obviously, I ran away to university, as so many people were fortunate enough to do. But then if there was, there was trouble at home and you really couldn't feel safe there. So I went off to university, which was wonderful for me. But when I got back, I decided to become a social worker. So that I had this period of my life where I worked as a mental health social worker and I really thought I could change things from within the mainstream. And the first thing that happened to me is I I walked through the door of, of this children's unit that was my first real job and they said, we know you're gay, so make sure the kids don't know you're gay because they'll think you're a pedo. And that was the introduction what? for my manager. My, my manager said that to me first day in the job and immediately I felt like, you know, I started to feel really vulnerable. I remember the first young person I worked with was actually a young man who was dressing up in women's clothing. And um, they said, I've had, I don't want to use the language they used, but they said, this person must be a trans person. I'm going to use the yeah. correct language now. They certainly didn't have that respect. Well, I, bet they, I bet they didn't. Was this the 80s? Oh, yeah. yeah, the 80s. Oh, my yeah. God. Um, and um, 
they said you need to work with them because you know you're gay you'll understand what's going on in their heads so and actually what that young person was doing was he'd had a horrible upbringing dreadful time with his parents his only person who cared about him was his gran he wasn't a person on a trans journey or anything like that he simply was dressing up in old clothes of his nan to feel close to her and nobody realized that and it was just this immediate questioning about his identity in a negative way and i just thought sod this it's just a horrible environment and every time when i work with people with learning difficulties you just watch them being infantilized when they when they came out mm. you know i remember a young woman came out to me and they said well she's obviously been interfered with as they said back then because she couldn't possibly be a lesbian because she's got learning difficulties i mean this oh is this is, the, this is the 80s i'm like living in the 80s and frightened to have sex because of HIV and my mother's obsession that I was going to die and all these people around me were having horrific times honestly the 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 way that people with learning difficulties were treated who questioned their sexuality was appalling back then and I'm you know I know things have moved on but I think just the experience of being in a social work setting just made me think no I need to go and work somewhere where I've got allies where I can make a difference. So you realised that you couldn't change the system from within and you had to get out and change the world in a different way, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the story of me is that I um, I pursued the Healthy Gay Manchester with a real vigour. I hunted down Paul Martin and Jackie Cross until I could get a job there. I absolutely <laughs> did because I thought that was my only way to make a massive difference. After a brief stint of um, delivering condoms, I finally got back back into mental health and, and became the, the manager of the mental health service, Healthy Gay Manchester, which then became LGF. Right. Well, such a varied career as well. I'm in conversation right now with the one and only Tim Sigsworth uh, from the AKT, a brilliant LGBT homeless charity. I didn't give you your full title. I forgot. I get confused between them all. Is it MBE or OBE? I, it's MBE. I don't tend to use it, though, but, yeah, no. MBE. No, most people don't, do they, really? But uh, you're obviously happy to, to pick it up and collect it. I did do. Yeah, I I think um, there's so many people that go unsung in our community, and I just wish that, you know, when I think about all the volunteers I've worked with, there's just yeah. so many people. It's, it, yeah, so many unsung stories, untold stories. Oh, you're so modest. Um, right, we're going to get on to talk about AKT in a minute, but you were just ex- sort of going through the history of your career and talking about working at the um, LGBT Foundation or LGB Foundation. What was it originally called? Lesbian and Gay Foundation. <laughs> Lesbian and Gay Foundation. That That's it. when it merged yeah. with Switchboard in Manchester. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose what, what was great there is that I was like a kid in a sweet shop because I had the opportunity to be part of some really groundbreaking work at LGBT Foundation. I got a real opportunity to develop some new projects and do some work. And I'll never forget when we actually got to go and develop a project in secure hospital with LGBT patients. And it was so difficult because we'd go in there, we literally would go into this hospital and work with these LGBT patients. And the hostility from some of the staff when we first arrived, all around the edges of the room, 
you know, watching us as much as watching the the people who are in this secure hospital. Oh. And it was terrifying because you'd hear people tell you about their lives, but then say, it's so difficult to come to this group because every time we turn up, you know, every time it's announced, the warder on our division goes, anybody for the gay club? And you can imagine what that was like. You coming out of your room, walking down a corridor and the danger you were putting yourself in by outing yourself. So it was really difficult, but an incredible piece of work that I think still goes on today. And then the projects like working on the uh, first service within Relate uh, for LGBT people coming out of heterosexual relationships, which was really oh, difficult okay. because, and that was that was a wonderful piece of work because working with Relate to help people come out in a positive way within a, a, a relationship because so many people get hurt you know the partner that you leave behind feels hurt you know you're trying to struggle to wrestle with your responsibilities and your need to be who you are obviously we did lots of work around you know setting up a sexual health clinic within a community setting and I just thought at the time that was so valuable so I'll, I'll never forget my days that LGBT uh, I can't even remember the name of the organisation when I worked there. Uh, but the, like Prince, the it just I... keeps changing its name. Yeah. But it was wonderful to get mm. to shift things and make such difference and uh, incredible. And then obviously I got to, you know, move on to somewhere where it's my world, really, AKT. And it's somewhere else that's changed its name. So formerly known as the Albert Kennedy Trust. And for those of you who, for those people who don't know, Albert Kennedy is someone that lost their life in Manchester, gosh, how many years ago, Tim? It's coming up for 33 years now, isn't it? It's 33 years, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about Albert is Albert had an incredibly supportive family, Mm. but through all sorts of reasons, ended up in care for some time was never helped by AKT, but for me, it just epitomises what it was like being a queer or trans youth in the 80s and just how hard it was. You know, all the things we had to do, like you didn't feel safe anywhere, you couldn't be yourself. It was only right and fitting that um, Kath and the rest of the founders of AKT picked Albert's name. And since then, since the 1980s, they've gone on to help so many young people, haven't they? Um, not just in Manchester, but in the northeast, in London as well. Why is it such an important charity for you, do you think? I mean, lots of reasons, because it was bubbling in the background. Again, like I said, just like Section 28 sparked something in me, so did AKT, because I remember being in youth group when we heard the news about Albert. Mm. you know and I remember hearing whispers about AKT I I have I've got friends today who were helped by AKT right at the beginning and I just remember those conversations I had with them about you know wow this organization's really helping me and it's getting me out of home and it's getting me away from all that danger and it was just amazing for me and you know to think I've come full circle on that is just fantastic and I I suppose got a real passion around the next generation and supporting them into activism and safe and more independent lives but it was just being there and seeing this starting to bubble in Manchester and being so proud that it was there for my friends when they really needed it. It's terrifying to think isn't it you know we 
you know, we almost expect that in the 60s, 70s and 80s, a lot of people ran away from home and they were literally living on the streets and they were homeless. I've spoken to people that have had that experience. But it's scary to think that it's still happening today. Is it happening as much? It's not happening as much, surely. Well, there's 105,000 young people um, at risk of homelessness and 24% are LGBTQ+. So it's a big, it's a big issue. The thing is, I think what's shifted back then, fewer people were coming out. Some people have lived their lives yeah. in the closet. Therefore, we saw so many people back then and we're seeing more and more now. And I think that's because people are feeling they can't more confident to come out. But it doesn't mean attitudes change. Yeah, of course, we've got all these rights today. But the bottom line is you try getting on a night bus and snogging your same-sex partner, you know, mm. see how you get on with that. We've had attacks in the last couple of weeks that we've heard of. Brutal attacks, a 14-year-old lad. Trans people are constantly under attack. For me, we have moved on, but we're safe in certain spaces and mm. not in others. So what sort of practical help do AKT give then? Is, is it... A- primarily about making sure that people are living in safe spaces and putting them into accommodation or is it a bit of that and a bit of other stuff? I mean it's got really complex over the last few years because it's clear that giving somebody a house doesn't doesn't deal with homelessness as a problem. Homelessness has more impacts on a, on a person's life whether it's the mental health impacts, the financial insecurity, whether it's the issues around employability and everything that young people face. So we we're more than that now. We're working with lots of partners to provide young people yeah, a safe space to live, but also to provide them with routes into independence, so helping them into employment education, whatever they need to get them going. And we have a whole range of ways that we keep young people safe and help them get on with their independence. And I was at an event last week where we opened our new service centre in Manchester and, and some of the young people there are like getting into university. That for them is absolutely the most important thing to get on with their education. And the support AKT is given, whether it's through mentors, whether it's through a safe home, whether it's through advocacy, whether it's through training and, and and peer support has meant that they've been able to make that leap and get on with their lives because they don't get the starting life they deserve. Well, I've been very privileged to have worked um, as a volunteer mentor for AKT for a number of years. And I have to say, because I've worked with quite a few different young people over the years, but I have to say one of my proudest moments, I think, and it's the closest I've ever come to feel like a proud parent, was when I was a mentor to a young guy who was part of the travelling community, actually, and none of his family knew he was gay, but we actually managed to get him registered with the university that was further away from his family and he was then encouraged and uh, he's graduated and doing really well now and I was just so just to get him to university and get him through everything and just be a small part of that really obviously he did it himself was just so rewarding and so wonderful so I I have got some small idea of how much you do to help people and you know in, in all different spheres really it is a wonderful organization that I'm I'm proud to be part of anyway and you must feel like that every day Tim well, I mean, it is amazing. It's just like there was a, one of the young people we were marching with is from a faith background and their faith was really important to them. And when all this kicked off for them, they lost that and they got to chat to other people of faith on the march. 
And that was incredible for them. It's like there's a connection with queer people who also hold on to their faith. And that was incredible for them. And and I think for me, there's this journey I went on because when I first started working with LGBT young people, I remember a story of a, a young man who's didn't come out to his mum and actually committed suicide and left her an, a coming out note. God. And the sad thing was, he said he'd written in this note because you were you were a devout Catholic. I thought you could never accept me for what I was. I didn't want to disgrace you because you've been a wonderful mother. And the first thing his mum said to us was, I knew he was gay. I didn't know how to mention it. I'm getting upset and that's like yeah. a million, that's like 20 odd years ago. And um, I just thought that's why AKT is so important today because if we can be there digitally, or face-to-face for a young person who is really struggling to make that monumental jump to being themselves, then fantastic. You know, and it's like the work that you've done with us, Emma. I mean, you, you'd be brilliant. I can imagine you are a fantastic mentor because <laughs> you've got on with your life. You're proud of who you are. You do not hide yourself in any way. Yeah. And that's what young people need to see. Yeah, I suppose so. I never thought about it like that, but yeah. Because I never really feel like an adult, but I suppose just by the fact that I'm living as an out and proud lesbian, that's that's that might be enough. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in, in the world at the moment. What do you think needs to change to to make our community better and to, to, to really help this problem with LGBT youth homelessness? Do you know, what? I think it all starts with us unifying. Whenever there's a crisis, we used to unify, whether it was our rights, whether it was HIV, whatever it was. And I just really can't fathom why we can't all unify behind the people in our community who are facing racism, the people within our community who are facing transphobia, Mm -hmm. not from people in the streets, but actually from our own community. And for me, if we don't, you know, if we unify, we are a massive force. We're a really strong force. And I just think we just have to do less of the protecting of ourselves and more of the protecting of each other's because community only comes to unity and that will unity will give us strength and we'll be able to fight anything if we're together. Yeah, because, well, I'm certainly an L that stands with the T because trans community have really suffered, haven't they? And I'm sure you're seeing a lot of young trans people coming through your doors, aren't you? Because of the, the battering that they've had in yeah. the public eye and social media, people in the streets and transphobia is rife. Yeah. 30% of the young people we see are identified as trans. Um, another 9% wow. are uh, non-binary. It's a big group of young people that we're working with. If I say to you, the level of isolation. If we go to Bristol and Newcastle in particular, two cities AKT is based in, the percentage of young people we see is in the high 50s who identify as trans or non-binary. It literally is because, you know, they're facing some real challenges and that's why we've got to support each other. We've got to be there for our trans brothers and sisters, if you'll excuse that expression. Yeah. We've got to be there for our black and, and people of colour within our, black people and people of colour within our community who are isolated because we're not drawing, we're not supporting each other. So um, before we finish, what what are some of the proudest things that you think you've achieved through um, oh. working, working with AKT? I'd say I've got to work with some incredible people who built AKT up. I mean, for me, one of the things that really touched me was when Lucy and I, our services director, went to um, Albania 
to help them set up a purple door house like AKT's got. Oh. And that was phenomenal to be invited out there. And it was all the embassies in Tirana from all around the world who were chipping in money to help this project run. And we got to help the locals develop this project, meet some of the young people who had walked hundreds of miles to get to Tirana to get this support because there was all this rural area around them. And that was pretty damn special. I think setting up the first emergency safe house for LGBTQ youth was really special. The Purple Door House in London came first. That was wonderful. And I think the other one that I'm really proud of is there was so little research around LGBTQ youth homelessness. Mm. And when we did the, the national scoping report in 2015, we lifted the lid on this problem. And the minute we did that, people started to listen, people took notice and started to react to it. And, you know, government listened, funders listened, and the public started to listen just at how enormous the problem was and how we needed to address it. The proudest thing for me is something that happens near enough every day at work. I meet a young person at the beginning of their journey and then I see them again some months later and see where they've gone. And you know what? At Salford Pride, a couple of years ago, one of our young people who basically was so low when they got to us years ago and really needed our help came running up to me and introduced me to their husband and... <laughs> they just adopted a child and it was like oh my god and it was just you were in such bits and now you've created your own family and you you're getting on with your life and you're doing so well and that's what i love and that's that's it it's when a young person we've helped comes running up to me and remembers me and remembers what akt did for them and it's just that that's it that's the achievement Oh, God. Well, long may it continue. And it's a damn bloody shame that we need a charity like yours, but uh, we're not quite there yet and in utopia yet, are we? But uh, long may it continue and you carry on with all your volunteers and all your staff doing an amazing job for LGBT youth. Thank you, Emma. You ready? The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell. Virgin Radio Pride. Hey, a big thanks to Tim Sigsworth. Great to chat to him. I'm still in shock at that comment that his manager said to him the first day he worked as a social worker. I mean, I know we're talking back to the 1980s now, but to tell someone at work not to tell the children that you were gay because they would all think that you were a pedo is absolutely shocking. Hopefully we have moved on a little bit since the 1980s. By the way, if you want to find out more info on his brilliant charity, just go to akt.org.uk. You can donate there. You can find out more about the work that they do. Or you can even offer your services as a volunteer. Um, As someone that volunteers for them, I can honestly say it is something you will never, ever regret. Oh, and thanks again to Tim for writing the foreword to my book, Coming Out Stories. That does what it says on the tin, basically. Stories from people across our community telling their coming out story. Available now in all good bookstores, uh, but especially, I must give a mention to Queer Lit, uh, the UK's newest LGBT bookshop. They opened in Manchester last weekend. Uh, You can also get them online at queerlit.co. 
uk they've got so much stuff it's blooming brilliant right stay with me as in the next hour i'll be telling you how you could be paddleboarding or doing the downward dog surrounded by hundreds of lesbians and queer women yes really this is the virgin radio pridecast good evening and welcome to the weekend outing with myself emma goldswell and if you were listening last week you'll have heard my interview with the unstoppable lgbt campaigner who is lisa power and she said emma You've got a few shows left. You need to get on the women from Out and Wild, which is a sort of outdoorsy group for lesbians and bi and and queer women and non-binary people. So I have done. And here is Polly Shoot. Polly, welcome to Virgin Radio Pride. It sounds like you've got friends in high places then. (laughs) Yeah, um, thanks, Emma. And uh, it's delighted to be on here. Yeah, I've known Lisa for a number of years and... um, through the work I did when I was on the board of Pride in London and she's become a really not, not just a supporter um, and a great activist to know but also a friend so yeah that's fantastic. So you're a Londoner um, no wonder you need to get out into the big wide world <laughs> and the countryside then it's very impressive isn't it so to tell us a bit about Out and Wild and, and what it is and how it started. Okay so great so um, about January time I set up um, with a business partner out and about, which was an LGBT group. It's, it's a platform and a website really to connect the LGBT community through shared experiences. And it was predominantly set up initially to focus on LGBTQ identifying women and those who are non-binary, because as you all know, there's so little out there for them. And there's a lot of research out there that said women were just sick of events that were male dominated or supposedly for everybody but really designed for gay men and I found that to be honest when I was at Pride in London that a lot of the events were very focused on gay men and that that's why I was delighted when I was at Pride in London to get the women's stage up and running but anyway we decided to set up this group because we knew post-lockdown loads of women would want to meet 22% them said they were sick of dating sites and they'd um, a large proportion of them said they'd rather meet through shared interests so we set that up in January and we've been running and we've done a few trips here and there and the thing that came up most when we asked people what they wanted to do was get outdoors and camp and glamp and plus that's very COVID secure isn't it so after, it a, lock- after a lockdown that's how you want to meet new people isn't it it is. So um, I got put in touch with a woman, a lovely woman called Amber Lord Phillips, who has this amazing space in Wales, in Pembrokeshire, that overlooks the estuary. And she already puts on a wellness festival that happens in June every year. And I started yeah. talking to her and she's really supportive of everything we're doing. And we decided that we would use her land straight after her festival finished to put on a wellness festival, but this time target it towards um, the LGBT uh, QI community and particularly um, again design it for for women but make it open to everybody so that's kind of where it came from it's quite an organic start and we launched a uh, soft launch last week on Friday and the festival will take place on the 10th to 13th of June next year so during Pride Month our kind of brand tagline is is explore experience and embrace and it's there as a place where women can reconnect with themselves, connect with others and connect with nature after what's been a really tough sort of 18 months. I'm going to say next year it will be a tough 
24, 36 months. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, we've all been to a lot of festivals, but this one sounds a bit different that you won't be sort of drinking cider and passing out outside your tent in a coma. It, <laughs> it sounds a bit more healthy and um, better for your body, your festival, to be honest. Yes. I mean, we, we kind of have, have positioned it as a wellness festival, but there will be there will be bars there. And if people do want to drink, um, there'll be bars, there'll be, wine, there'll be cocktail making, and then will be bands and the kind of activities that acts on stage that you would normally expect when you go to a festival however added on to that will be a lot more around kind of holistic wellness so we'll have a taster of sport stage or area field I should say not a stage that's being run by the lovely Lou Englefield who who heads up Pride Sports so that oh, I love a- I love Lou Englefield I might get her on next week's show actually I love her so much um yeah, yeah she she's does brilliant. incredible work brilliant. with Pride Sports doesn't she so yeah. she's going to run that and it will be a safe space for women and those who identify as non-binary just to try out new sports and then we'll have the next what field. sort of things can we try do you think we're night right next to the water so there'll be wild swimming paddle boarding and kayaking and I know how much women love to wild swim. It's a kind of new thing. I'm just getting my head around it. There'll also be tastes of sport, like we're talking to people who to do things like badminton and volleyball. We've also got a five-a-side pitch, and we'll be using that to do uh, football, five-a-side football and five-a-side hockey games. So lots of different things that you can just try out in a really safe and supportive environment. The next field will be focused more holistically on kind of wellness um, and there'll be the usual type of wellness activities you'd expect. So there'll be yoga, meditation, breath work. We'll also have a a kind of spoken word tent where we'll be doing some stuff around sexual health amongst other subjects. And if you're really into your wellness, we're even going to have ice baths. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You've gone a step too far now, Polly. (laughs) Nobody wants that, do they? Who wants that? I mean, I like a wild swim as much as the next person, and I have swam in the sea off Pembrokeshire before, and it's very beautiful, but I ain't getting in a bath full of ice. Why? Why? Well, you can get in a bath full of ice, and then afterwards you can get into a jacuzzi, So, um, (laughs) because we will have hot tubs on site. So, yeah, so it's a little bit of everything. It's the usual things that people would want in terms of a festival, great place to meet, bands, and you can drink. But we think the wellness will be make it a bit different, and also it gives people something more positive to try out and, and gives them an opportunity to kind of work on themselves and work on how they reconnect with themselves again after what's been a really tough 18 months. So you're going for the source of um, maybe older, sporty, outdoorsy lesbian or bisexual or pansexual well, woman, are you, maybe? Interestingly, we've had a real mix. So we've had a lot of younger um, audience that want to come because um, they just want to come to somewhere that's different. And wellness is an interesting thing, actually. So, yes, it does appeal to a broad audience. It appeals to a lot of people who um, are slightly older in the community. But we've had a lot of younger and when I say younger, I'm kind of talking 25 plus yeah. LGBTQ women who also want to come because that's what they want to do now. I don't know if you do see all the research. When I went to university, um, it was all about drinking. Now they don't want to yeah. necessarily do that. They want to embrace wellness and other activities. So it's attracting quite a wide range of people. And also a lot of straight, um, I'm going to say straight um, or bi-curious women have been in touch and said, can they come? Because... They just feel it's a safe and supportive space. So some of the research out there, um, for example, says almost 40% of women have been assaulted at a festival. And I I think there's a lot of women that just want to go somewhere that feels safe. So you can go out, you can have a good time, you can go back to your, your, your tent and you don't have to worry as much. Now, I'm not saying that assaults are always from men or from those who identify as men, but 
it's appealing to a wide range of people because of its breadth and because of its focus on women. Yeah, it's really interesting about the younger generation, isn't it? You know, I kind of wish yeah. I was part of it, really. I've ruined, I've totally ruined my liberal <laughs> in the last 25 years since <laughs> I was in my 20s. But young people are doing different things, aren't they? And they're not drinking as much as we used to do. Yeah. It'd be better to their bodies. It's interesting. It, and it's also interesting what they want to do. So my friend's daughter went to Reading Festival and she loved it. But what she said is up until three o'clock, there was nothing to do. So she was a bit bored. Mm. And then all the bands come on. And I know um, a lot of people will still be sleeping in their tents at three o'clock. But she said it would have been great if there were some other things to do during the day. So we've got um, over 100 activities over the three days. Um, lots of different things that you can get involved in. So I hate that phrase because I'm a, a, a marketing director that says it has got something for everyone. But we think it covers quite a lot of the bases and you if you want to have a drink you can do if you want to just watch the bands you can do if you want to take part in all the activities you can do if you want to just enjoy the space you can do and you will do because i'm very familiar with pembrokeshire my parents live there and it is absolutely stunning if you get the weather you could think you're in the south of france some days on the beach in pembrokeshire if you don't get it it can be horrendous but we'll just have to pray to the weather gods won't we for that one whereabouts in pembrokeshire is it polly so it's in a little village called lorraine so it's very near pembroke so it overlooks the estuary at pembroke dock and the other interesting thing since we've been working on this is just how supportive the welsh community are and the welsh government are Mm. around the lgbtqi community so they came out recently the welsh government and, and and put a bold statement out there which was they wanted to be the most lgbtq friendly nation in europe and we're seeing that so we're seeing so much support visit pembrokeshire um, have been really supportive and what was really interesting just a little anecdote is when we went to go and put on the festival we had to do a little village consultation and the wi turned up brilliant um, and you would expect it, that the person that turned up, she's lovely, Sue, was what you would probably expect in a tiny little village in Wales. But she was so supportive and said, anything we can do to help you, we'd love to have a stand there. And anything we can do to support you, we'd love to. It's really important for people to feel comfortable and be who they want to be. And she proudly showed me the copy of the latest WI magazine, which had a trans woman on the front. So wow. it's, it's yeah, well, been the- lovely to get the support. That's fantastic. Well, the WI have definitely changed, haven't they, really? It's not Jam and Jerusalem anymore, is it? If they've got trans women on the front, that's fantastic. And we've just been finding out about your festival, but I think there's other stuff that you do as well, isn't there? There's not just this big build-up to this festival next summer. There's all sorts of different events you can you do throughout the year, aren't there, Polly? Yeah, absolutely, um, Emma. So Out and Wild is our kind of flagship event that we'll put on every year, um, and we're really keen to keep it in Wales for lots of different reasons. One, it's mm. absolutely stunning, as we talked about, and two, just the commitment from the Welsh Government to focus on the LGBT community. But we do, as Out fire out and about we do put other events on throughout the year one of the ones that was our most successful was dinner and Banksy so in London there's a Banksy exhibition we had a private viewing of the Banksy exhibition and then had a space afterwards where all the women could have a private area to have dinner together and that went down really well we're doing a glamping trip again in Pembrokeshire the same place that we're doing the festival in a couple of weeks time we are looking to do dining clubs so we're just setting up a dining club where people can meet and then we're looking at other kind of outdoor activities we had a sports and picnic day um, recently so I guess what makes it a little bit different is yes we do have those type of events where you can turn up and it's about 
drinking, but we're trying to make it around shared interests because we all know how difficult, well, I certainly know how difficult it is to meet somebody in the LGBT community. Everyone seems sick of dating apps that I speak to. So we're trying to find more authentic ways for people to connect. So a lot of what we put on will be focused around an interest. So a dining club is for people who love good food, much more likely to meet someone on that. If you go to a sports day, you're much more likely to meet somebody who is interested in sports. So the ethos of it is connecting the community through shared interests. It and, does make sense. Um, you know, when, when I was single a few years ago, I went out and uh, joined a softball team, which was quite successful for both things, you know, just getting me back out and meeting new friends yeah. and also a few lovers. So it does work, doesn't it? It does. And we're seeing some nice stories of people, you know, extending their friendship skirt circles. There's a few... Um, dates coming out of it but I think what people are most liking is that they can just meet new people and so for example we had an American couple that um, joined out and about and they came over here during the pandemic I think they flew out here in August last year and they hadn't met anybody and they weren't able to meet anybody but because we've been putting on some monthly meet meetups at um, at a pub in London a pub called the um, city of Quebec they were able to come along and, and find a whole bunch of new friends that otherwise would have been really difficult for them to find in the circumstances so I hope it's it's helping people and I know actually I know it's helping people connect and find new ways to um, talk and the other thing we've been doing a lot on is sport so we know women love sports or lots of LGBTQI women love sports so we are working with a really big pub chain called Green King to create safe spaces for LGBTQI and women and those who are non-binary to watch sports. Oh, and fabulous. That's good. That's... Oh, so watching sports so go watching, watching... sports footy in a pub in a safe environment rather than rugby. lads yeah exactly or rugby or anything else and one of the reasons we're doing that is the the women's euros are on being hosted by england next year mm. so we want to make sure that women can go and watch in a safe environment and meet other friends there so yeah lots of different things going on this sounds like um you've really got fed up with the fact that as you said at the beginning that um, everything was focused towards the G in the LGBT community. But Polly, this has been the same ever since I came out as a teenager in the 1980s, you know. Do you think things are better than, than they um, have been? I think they're getting better. I mean, certainly what I'm seeing through the Pride events is there's much more focus on other parts of the community, not just, mm. um, you know, identifying lesbians, um, but also by um, transgender asexual intersex so I, I think it's a hard job for prides and I say that having been on the board that you're trying to it's quite a disparate community and not just gay men um, which they've traditionally been but um, is it getting better I think so um, I think that um, it's very hard um, women women look at things differently and don't necessarily always want to go to bars and meeting up is about interest so I think it's it's getting better when there's more events that are focused on interests rather than just drinking. Um, I think it, I think that's helping, um, but I still think we've got a way to go to kind of achieve true visibility um, mm. and true equality for LGBTQ women. And I know there's some great, you know, I, I worked with Linda Riley on the first ever Lesbian Visibility Week, and I think that's, that's helping the cause. But I think there's a lot more to do. Um, and it's difficult, isn't it? Because you'll remember it and I remember it from years ago and, and now. And it's you're right. It's still it's it still feels hard to be a lesbian. And it feels hard to say that sometimes yeah. um, when everybody else has got their own challenges. But it, it is hard if you've just come out. You don't know anyone. 
um, and you're trying to find your tribe to know where to go, especially as there's only one bar in the whole of London now that, that, oh, there, that caters for women. Oh, there is one now, is there? Because I, yeah, there, there was a phase where you had none, wasn't there? Well, exactly. And God. so there's one now, um, uh, She Bar. But yeah, I think I think it's beginning to change. We're trying to support a lot more LGBTQI women and non-binary people that are putting on events and that seems to be working but um yeah you just you just have to do I'm a big fan of rather than moaning about something you go out and do something about it and um that that's exactly what we're doing yes and you absolutely have so if people are interested in coming to your uh, wellness festival and doing a bit of yoga um and paddleboarding and and also maybe having the old pint of cider and enjoying some comedy or music yeah. um in Pembrokeshire next June where where should they head for tickets Polly um so they should head to um out and about so our website is beoutandabout.co.uk um and if you go there you'll find everything you need to know about the festival there's a kind of link to the festival page on there and it's got all the details that you need to know about what we'll be doing um and and also booking your tickets and if you sign up to our email then um our website then we'll send you emails regularly as we we kind of announce new acts and new activities that are going to be happening yeah. so that's oh, the best yeah. thing and have you announced any acts yet any people no we're, so we we've literally just launched um so we've launched 10 months before the event um to get it out there and now we know we've launched and we've signed the contract with the site um, we've got everything up and running. We're starting opening for acts in September. Um, so now, actually, late September, we'll start opening for acts to come on board. And I guess that's another point, Emma, um, just to stress that one of the other things we're tackling is gender equality on stages. So if you go to mm. most festivals and you read the stats on them, again, 70 to 80 percent of the acts that take part are male. Which is um, exactly why Heather P started her own music festival a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I know Heather well, and I remember her telling me the stats, and then I read up on them myself. So one of the other things we're really keen to do is give a platform to um, LGBTQI uh, women and those who are non-binary on the stages. So yeah, if you go again, if you go to the website and you sign up and you have a look, we'll be opening soon for acts um, and Great. announcing people. Oh, that's fantastic! Because I'm sure there'll be a few people listening who can, uh, you know, strum a few chords on the guitar or play some amazing electronic tunes on a keyboard or all sorts of different talents. Yes. So hopefully you'll be inundated with incredibly talented LGBTQ uh, women and non-binary people, Polly. I hope so. Well, we're already getting quite a few people coming through, but yeah, that's one of our aims. Because as you probably know, it's been so hard for people in that sector over the last eighteen months. So again. God, yes. We want to help them and um, we're just talking to a few companies about how we might live stream the event, which will also give them more profile and allow people who can't attend to still join in. Fabulous. Well, best of luck with it all and uh, hopefully see you in Pembrokeshire next summer. Yeah, I hope so, Emma. Thank you very much for your time and uh, uh, nice to speak to you and uh, hello to everybody that's uh, listening. You ready? The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell. Virgin Radio Pride. Big thanks to Polly for joining me and telling us all about the Out and Wild LGBTQ Festival happening in Pembrokeshire next summer. That WI story was amazing. So good to see how they've come on as an organisation, isn't it, really? I'm going to have to get hold of their magazine to find this issue with a trans woman on the cover. That is wonderful. Uh, more information, by the way, if you want to find out about the festival, at be out and about.co.uk and hopefully ice baths are not compulsory no exactly who wants to do that
Blimey, how's that happened? We've come to another end of a show. It's the end of the weekend outing for this week. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday evening. Uh, Don't forget to check out my new podcast. It's called Is My Rabbit a Lesbian? Yeah, I'm not going to explain it. Go and find out more. Hopefully it'll cheer you up. Go and find it wherever you get your podcasts. And I will be back next week, next Sunday, for my last show. Yes, I know. I can't believe it either. Tell all your friends, tell your enemies. It will be time to say goodbye. And I, for one, will be making sure that I go out with a belter of a show. Have a wonderful week.